Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, talk, ready to talk all things sports in Salford and beyond? I am very much so, Rob. It's been a cracking week. There's some brilliant stuff coming up. I can't wait to break it all down, but I think it's appropriate to wish you, Rob, a very happy birthday with your wife putting on a fantastic party, a surprise party, yeah. should I say, for you. You rocked up in your Ghostbusters costume, absolutely blown away by the reception, and then you blew everybody else away with your rendition of one of Alistair John's finest tunes. Yes, it was a fantastic party, James. Feel like I'm living in a world, the Truman Show at the moment because I don't know what's lies and what's not because this party has been going on, for, uh, planning has been going on for like eight months, I think. So without me even knowing, so uh, I've got lots of lots of questions to ask. And I think obviously because my wife does a bit of party planning, she planned it right in front of me, all all the organising of the cakes and that. So um, you know, whether she's very good at hiding the truth or me being a mug uh, or a bit of both. Well, I don't really know, Ron, because uh, obviously she told me quite a bit of back and I've been harbouring this secret. Yeah, uh, It's been extremely tough for me to deal with the guilt of uh, not letting you know. But ultimately, I managed to survive. And if anything, I'm proud of myself for that. Yeah. And obviously, if you'd have been the only one to tell me, then that would have been not good. You wouldn't have had to leave Salford for your own protection. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let's not talk about my life all the show let's talk about sport in Salford James and we'll start with the football Man United played Arsenal this week and lost 3-1 uh, Ralph Ran- Ranrick's men uh, another disappointing result for them yeah it's uh, a poor it's been a pretty mixed week for Manchester United obviously there was a massive positive which we'll get on to in a second but yeah. the game I mean Pathetic, really. Arsenal completely dismantling us, coming off the back of that Liverpool performance as well when they beat us 4-0. So overall, what that's like, 7-1 in the space of two games against Liverpool and Arsenal, two of our biggest rivals in which we'd be looking for pretty big performances. We didn't get them. And I think the problem now is not with the manager. I don't think Ralph Rangnick's to blame. I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Jose Mourinho or Louis van Gaal, anyone. I think you have to blame the squad at this point, Rob. Yeah, I'm with you on that, James. I think, obviously, to be a Manchester United player, it means you have to be a special person with a special character. And I don't think the current batch of Manchester United players in this squad don't do not have that in them. I think the last two games, like you said, against Liverpool and against Arsenal, lacklustre performances, no heart, no fire in your belly, no passion. And and both Arsenal and Liverpool just just ground the result out, and we just couldn't deal with it at all. Especially looking back at the Anfield game, they went two 0 up, James, and you could visible, visibly see them think, "Well, we're two 0 up. We'll give them the ball for twenty minutes and see what see what happens." And even in them twenty minutes, we didn't really sort of test Liverpool and, and put them under any kind of pressure. And then after sort of twenty minutes, they kind of put down the coffee and said, "Right, should we just?" Should we do another two then? And uh, and that was it. 4-0, game over. Yeah, uh, pretty appalling really all around for Manchester United over the past two weeks. And we've been in a place over, I suppose, last year or so where we'll be going, is Pogba right for the squad? Is Lingard right for the squad? Is, is Rashford right for the squad? At this point, Rob, it's I'm not necessarily looking at who should go, but who do you think should actually stay? Of those players in that Manchester United squad, which of them deserve to play for this team? It's a good question, really, because like J- Jaden Sancho, you know, he showed, you know, good touches. 
Um, people talk about Ratchford. He's terribly out of form, isn't he, at the moment? But but he is, you know, a, a proven uh, sort of player when given that opportunity. So he might be available. And then, obviously, looking further back defensive-wise, there isn't much there, is he? You'd have to keep David De Gea, wouldn't you? Because if he wasn't playing for us and then Ronaldo wasn't playing for us, we'd, be, we'd probably be relegated by now, James. So we need to keep him. Uh, Ronaldo, that's another thing. It's obviously... He is a you know a superb talent, great footballer, but does he fit into the Man United system? That's the big question for me. Yeah, he scores important goals, scored his hundredth goal, hold the Premier League goal against Arsenal uh, this week shows the the class he's got. But do Man United need another type of player to play up front to to be able to keep the ball better and to move it around and? Doing that, you'd have to move Ronaldo to the sort of the wing kind of attacking inside inside forward position. And does he have the legs of that at whatever it is, 36, which which is what he is old-wise? Obviously, his legs are slowing, but compared to a lot of the other players, I still think he's got a very good work ethic. He's one of the only players within that squad that still does those hardcore training sessions before and after the official training session with the rest of the squad. So I don't mm. think you can necessarily put his work ethic up in the air. He... He's definitely slowing, but I still think it's there more so than these other players. And I think it would be perhaps a hint naive to think we can just get rid of him and then go to winning games. Hmm. All in all, Rob, I'm not necessarily asking you whether he should stay at the club or whether he should leave, but do you think he will be at the club next season? Part of me thinks probably not. Because he wants to play at the very top level, doesn't he? In like the Champions League. And if Man United will probably need like a minor miracle now to get uh, within striking distance of the Premier League if, if form uh, and league tables don't lie, do they, James? So if you want, if you're Ronaldo and you want your profile to continue to be global, you've got to play at the very top level. So uh, it could it could be on his way, but where you'd go, I, I wouldn't know, James. What do you think? I don't think he'll be here next season. I think he's extremely frustrated with the state of things at Manchester United. You see his attitude on the pitch. He's still putting in that work ethic, but you can tell he's frustrated with the other players. He's used to playing with a better quality of players. And mm. Manchester United are in sixth at the moment. I mean, we're four points behind Tottenham in fifth, and they've got a game in hand. So our chances of making the Champions League are completely blown out of the water. And we're probably not going to make the Europa League either. Which would be a huge blow really, for the club. Because obviously, if you don't make the Europa League, well, it is a blow, but then it might work in our favour. Because I remember when Liverpool were going for the Championship, I think it was under Brendan Rodgers, and they weren't in Europe. And they were playing one game a week towards the end of the season when everyone else was playing like two. So it saves your legs. But like you said, revenue-wise and profile-wise, you need to be in Europe to, to sort of bring in quality players and bring in quality sponsors so it will be an interesting time because obviously the Glazers you know there's talk of new state you know, sort of new stadiums or redevelopment of, of Old Trafford that's going to cost money so it, whether they're happy to dig into their own pockets um, and the reserves they have themselves to, to do that or whether they'll rely on sponsorships and, and new uh, you know income revenue streams to to do that is is a is is a question and obviously if you're not in Europe then them new revenue streams James aren't as big how would you feel personally Rob I mean you just mentioned it there what's going on with Old Trafford at the moment mm. how would you feel if they knock it down and build up a new site 
I'd be, I'd be devastated, James. So, to be fair, Old Trafford is 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 the heart and soul of Manchester United. When, when you look back at all the teams and, and you know fantastic players, George Best, Bobby Charlton, Duncan Edwards, they, they've all played at, at that ground. David Beckham, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, Rude Ranister, Roy, Andy Cole, Dwight York. They've all they've all you know graced that pitch. And do, do I think that knocking Old Trafford down is the answer? I probably think it is, James. I think you know we've got a, we've got a good stadium as it is. We do need to, for it to be refurbished, and I think the main problem really lies on with the railway tracks that run behind the I think it's the south stand, north stand, where you can't build over the railway line. So that is probably the main um, situation that they think. But there is lots of land around Old Trafford that that they could turn into kind of a. Uh, like a mini Etihad where, you know, with Man City, there's all kinds of pre-match things going on and, and you know, revenue streams being built with a bit of sort of imagination that could easily be re- reproduced at Old Trafford. And also in the ground, they talk about leaky roofs and and, and, and things like that and not very good, um, you know, seating and, and not very good facilities. So I'm sure that you know they can they can fix that up as well, and obviously including increasing the attendance would would be a good thing as well because obviously you get more more fans in and generate more uh, you know juice. So we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm hoping that they'll be able to stay at Old Trafford, but you know it's it's this land around Manchester really. Where would you where would you be able to find another space to, to build a, a an old, another Old Trafford, a bigger one? It's going to be difficult. There's a bit of space, I think, directly next to the stadium. And mm. I, difficult, isn't it? I mean, Tottenham obviously had White Hart Lane knocked down and then they've, they've rebuilt the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is state-of-the-art and probably one of the best uh, studies in the whole of Europe right mm. now. But we get all these modern stuff and, yes, it's beautiful, it's fantastic, but it does sort of neglect that feeling of nostalgia a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it's disappointing because, obviously, the nostalgia is, is what, fans love they love to think back and remember the good times and you know being at Old Trafford and and on the pitch and you know the players that have graced it I do you think that that'll probably take a bit away from it all if suddenly you have to move the stadium 20 meters you know half a mile away then obviously that's that's not really Old Trafford like it used to be I suppose it's the same when Sulphur Red Devils left the Willows um, is is a thing where you know they moved to bat and will the willows got knocked down and now there's like a like a memorial there on the halfway line it's not on the halfway line now it's in the middle of the housing estate in 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 west um, and people can go and visit like it and it's 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 nice to, to go and remember it but you know it's 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 sad um, but do Man United because obviously Man United are a, a totally bigger brand than, than Sulphur Red Devils so um, people must look at Old Trafford and, and see that bit as being part of Manchester United so for them to sort of carve that away from the actual club and say yeah now you're, you're going to go to I don't know the Vodafone Arena uh, in, in Stratford somewhere uh, will that take, uh, take it away from the club a little bit? Yeah, I think it would to an extent, Rob. I think Old Trafford defines Manchester United. It's the theatre of dreams. And of course, it's been a bit of a theatre of nightmares over the last few years, hasn't it? After the club have completely spiralled since Louis and Alex Ferguson. But you're hoping eventually that one of these managers can turn the fearsome tide, can take the reins of the ship and drive it back to dry land. And the man who can potentially do that is Eric Ten Hag, because he's officially the manager of Manchester United at the end of the season. Of course, he's had a sensational run with Alex, 
two of the VC titles, potentially a third at the end of the season. Iconically took Ajax all the way to the semi-finals of the Champions League a few years ago, beating Juventus and Real Madrid along the way. He's got a great mindset, great tactical prowess, and he's the sort of man who can get Manchester United playing exciting football. And looks a bit like a wish Pep Guardiola as well, which is, a, which is like a bonus. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of it's, he wants total control of, of Manchester United, and people have come out. Um, you know, Ralph's come out, players have come out, are talking about how behind the scenes it's not quite right. He has to come into this club um, and say to these players and people who work behind the club, say, look, we need to all go in the right direction. I want you to do it my way. I'm the Manchester United manager. I want you to lay the balls out this way, lay the, the drinks out this way. You do it, you do training this way, you play this way, my way, not your way. You're here to follow my instructions, not to lead yourself. And it's okay if you've uh, got players who are, you know, don't have, um, you know, characters in there and aren't, don't have overinflated egos who, who, who want just to sort of play their own way. He has to rely on these players to follow his lead. Will will he will he get that? Will that happen? We don't know. I think if we go off current form with Oli and Ralph and um, sort of struggling to make this team play, will he will he be able to find a way to to make these players play? But he has said he wants ten players to go. So if he if he does manage to ship them out and bring ten of his own in, it might make a difference. But then you've got bedding in time, aren't you, and things like that. So I think it's the Man United project, he says it could be sort of three years, um, to offer oh, six transfer windows or something like that. So it, it will take time, but I think as long as he sees progress and the fans see progress on the field in that time, then obviously he will get uh, the time he needs to rebuild Man United. I mean, one player he's already talking about bringing in is Donny van der Beek. And do you think he's the right player to bring back to Old Trafford? Well, he had, he had a good time under under uh, Hag previously at Halifax. Uh, so he will know what he can do. He'll know his style of play. He knows he fits into what he wants to do. So it makes obvious sense to bring him back into the fold. I think with Man United, they didn't really want to play him any further forward, they wanted to play him as a deep lying kind of quarterback kind of mid midfielder. When really, you can tell that he's not. With you know, with all the YouTube videos you see, he's he's a running into the box, Paul goals kind of midfielder in it. So, I think they wanted him to change Old Trafford. And when they realised that he couldn't, then that he said, "Well, we'll just loan him out then because he's not fitting into our into our system." But now, um, Ten Hag's here. And he's, he wants to bring his own ways in. He'll know that Donny van der Beek um, can play in his system. Um, so it makes sense to have him back in the team, really. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's good to get that mix. It's good to get players like Donny van der Beek who want to play for the club. Mm. And I think we're all in this sense of feeling quite optimistic about Eric Ten Hag. And I know we've had that feeling of optimism before with Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho and every manager who's tried to take on the mantle of becoming the main man at Manchester United. But Ten Hag has a bit of a... He's a proven, got a proven track record. And he's got a proven track record recently. Because Jose Mourinho, yes, a great manager. But before coming to Manchester United, he wasn't at his peak. Nor was Louis van Gaal. David Moyes hadn't done it to that level. And, and nor had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Ralph Rangnick. Eric Ten Hag has proven that he's capable of winning in Europe with a good team. Well, Ten Hag's career is on the up. And it's probably the first manager since probably David Moyes that's that's gone sort of up in a, in a 
upward direction when it comes to Manchester United. How that direction changes will will kind of rely on how successful he is. And obviously, Ajax is a you know a massive club, um, but in Holland they are probably the big dogs, aren't they? Apart from PSV, maybe. Um, so the pressure is the pressure on him as much at Manchester United. Every game matters, especially the ones against Liverpool and against City. Um, but I've always said with Manchester United, James, it's not them games you worry about. It's the ones at home that you draw to Dorwich or, or you draw um, to, to Fulham, who might come, who are going to come up next season. United will struggle to beat them next season at home. I can guarantee you now uh, because they'll just sit there and, and United will struggle to break them down unless Hag's got the uh, the answers up his sleeve and, and the players to, to make the magic happen. Well, we're hoping he's got a bit of wizardry about him. We're hoping he's a young, uh, an older Harry Potter, aren't we, in a sense, to, to well and truly spark some magic mm. into this struggling Manchester United side. But we've been here before, haven't we? Mm. Where we've hoped that managers are going to do things. Let's put you five years into the future, Rob. Where will Manchester United be? And will Eric Ten Hag still be managing Manchester United? Will he still be here in five years? Well, if 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 we're following the process, he will he'll have to be, because it's not a quick fix. This Man United problem, James, and you know, I suppose there will be conversations going on behind the scenes between him and the Glazers and and the the admin staff about what is expected, and maybe it will be, you know, a jumping off point that he expects a certain. Uh, amount of quality coming in and expect a certain amount of quality in the club and we all push in the right direction and if he doesn't get it then obviously he might walk himself because he knows he's he's prime meat in he in the in the footballing world at the moment he's coming to Manchester United to you know resurrect a, a sleeping giant really now so if if he doesn't get what he wants um, and what he's probably saying I signed so I'm sure Manchester United have problems him stuff uh, and if they do decide to sort of not give what not give what he asked for, then he has he'll be he'll be knocking on that chairman's door quicker than you can say, "Where's my gear?" And that will be disappointing because if he can't do it, Rob, are Manchester United in danger of staying in this position that they are now? Because how many managers would that be? It's David Moyes, Louis Van Gaal, Arne Gunnar Solskjaer, Ralph Rangnick, Jose Mourinho. None of them have been capable of doing it. You put mm. Eric Targ onto that list as well. How far can Manchester United crumble and will he ever come back to their glory days? It's a problem because obviously with Ferguson, when you think about it, when Matt Busby left Manchester United, well, when he sort of like retired or whatever in 69 or whatever it was, you had Wilf McGuinness, you had Dave Sexton, um, then you went, was it Tommy Doherty? Then you had uh, Ron Atkinson. And then you had Alex Ferguson, and it was kind of a what's that five six managers in in that period. I think Matt Busby came back at one point as well. So it took time for for the next manager, and that happened over what twenty thirty years. So you know that that kind of thing takes time, and I think with Premier League football, it's an instant thing, and shareholders and you know. You know, sponsors want want an instant success, and, and for him to say, "Well, yeah, Man United needs a rebuild," and we're ten years behind Man City and, and Liverpool, a sponsor will be thinking, "Well, I'll come back in ten years then when you're ready." So it's it's kind of a it's a real sort of um, you know sobering up moment for everyone at the club. 
Yeah, it's difficult. We have to just put our hopes and prayers into Eric Tang Hag and hope that he's got the managerial prowess to drag Manchester United back from the depths of destruction. But mm. I don't think any of us are quite holding our breaths yet after everything that's gone on at the club. But going back to what we've got, we've got a couple of games this week. Chelsea and Brentford. Chelsea obviously outright better than us at the moment. And Brentford, a team, are in decent form at the moment. Yeah, you're right, James. That, you know, it is, you know, two tough games. But to, they're coming towards the end of the season, Man United, and you can tell the players have switched off. So you're hoping that opportunity for, for these next two games to be at both at home to, to give something the fans to, to shout about. And if you were a player at Man United, all the criticisms that you've had in the last, uh, you know, t- what, 12 months, 18 months, um, you'd be looking to do that, wouldn't you? A hundred percent. We're hoping for some big performances from Manchester United, but let's switch over to the other side of Manchester. Let's look at the blue side, and that's a lot brighter at the moment. A three-nil victory over Brighton, a five-one victory over Watford. Still that point clear of Liverpool, and as we said last week, they're just defending that lead now. Yeah, it's right. Obviously, with Man City, um, Jesus with with four goals uh, against uh, Watford. It's it's kind of you know. They've been there before Liverpool, haven't they? Where they both kept winning and they were hoping that one had dropped points and, you know, City never did. So they know all they've got to do is keep winning and, and the, the Premier League title goes back to, to the Etihad. The problem Man City have is they've got Real Madrid at home on Tuesday and then they've got Leeds away on Saturday. So, you know, it's balancing that fixture uh, t- you know, fixture list and, and resting players and making sure they're fit for certain games and if Pep doesn't get that right, because we know against the, the Liverpool game in the FA Cup, his selection, he got it wrong that day and City fans know it. So it only needs one more mistake by him and it'll let Liverpool in. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool got a lot of momentum behind them right now. Just beating Everton 2-0 in the Merseyside derby, one of the biggest games in world football. Mm. And that actually puts Everton into the relegation zone. And over the last few weeks, we've been discussing the possibility of Everton going down. And they've always been a few points clear, and it's been on the back burner. And we've been like, yeah, we'll talk about it, but most likely they're going to stay up. Now they're in genuine danger of going down. And yes, they've got a game in hand on Burnley, but... They've won three of the last five games. Everton certainly haven't done that. So they're the team in the worst form at the moment. This is a genuine reality that Everton could be playing championship football next season. Massive club, Everton. Well, in the 80s, you know, under under Howard Kendall, you know, Graham Sharp, Andy Gray, you know, they scored some, they played some good football then. And, and to see them, you know, where they are now, it's a sad, it's a sad way. And does Frank Lampard have the ability to, to turn this club around? I'm not sure, James, because obviously, yeah, the, you know, talk about Lampard being the, 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 the next big thing, but, you know, it'll be a blot on his copybook if he, he does not manage to save Everton uh, Football Club. Talk about other clubs, that have, you know, great clubs that have fallen by the wayside, uh, James. Oldham Athletic, Salford City beat them 2-1. Uh, this week. They were relegated Bolden off the back of that. There was protests at the stadium uh, and that's another club that, you know, remember the glory days, Andy Ritchie, Calton Palmer on a plastic pitch. They terrorise everyone. Littlewood's Cup, you wouldn't want to go to the Boundary Park on the, on a Tuesday night, uh, them days, and now look at them. Yeah, they were an absolute terrifying side, weren't they, at level? Uh, not so much anymore. Like a lot of these sides, they're on a downward spiral. And I don't know what it's going to take to get Oldham out of this sort of spin that they're in at the moment because they seem to be descending at quite a rapid rate. 
Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Obviously, fans weren't happy. They, you're on the pitch, complain about the owners, and you're just hoping that, that they can get an off season behind them and and sort of rebuild the club and talk about a club that's that's obviously being being built. So for City FC, who beat them that that day. They're eighth in the league. James, they've uh, Mansfield at home on on the second, and then they got Stevenage away on the seventh. Uh, two big games. Mansfield is the one. Stevenage. Uh, safe uh, third but I'm not going down but Mansfield down in a playoff spot so that's the game that the Salford City FC uh, fans will be looking at if they win that the play it's playoff time they most certainly are Rob. I mean Stephen is 22nd it's a game that they should win and should win easy hmm. if they beat Mansfield who are currently in sixth place they'll get a shot in that playoff position Rob which is remarkable considering at the start of the season after coming up from the division below we were saying they look like a good team, but it's probably not quite their year yet. Mm. It could well be their year. They're very, very close now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, you know, it's what football is all about. When you get to the business end, it's it's exciting times. And, you know, one game and you're in a playoffs, playoffs place and you lose one game and you're out and your season's over. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Gary Bowyer does, if he can, if he can, you know, get two wins from two there. Put them in a playoff spot, and then we'll be be cheering them on at at Salford City Radio and open for another another promotion, maybe James. So that's all the uh, the football chat. Let's talk ice hockey now. Yeah, Rob, we will. And there's quite a lot coming up in the world of ice hockey with Manchester Storm finishing their season. Break it down for us, Rob. Yeah. Tough end to the season for Manchester Storm. Finished ninth. Uh, Ryan Finity disappointed, really. The fans are disappointed that, you know, they put. They've got a good squad. It just never kind of clicked for them. Uh, struggled away from home. Great at the Storm Shelter. You know, 2,000 passionate fans there screaming every night on a Saturday or on a Sunday trying to cheer the, the, the boys on. Couldn't quite sort of get a few results. Struggled in front of goal. I know we had a few players. Um, Jared Wormer, who, who's, a, who's a goal scorer. We did, we did score more goals this season than we did last season but there is um, you know in ice hockey you need to score loads really to get half a chance so I'm sure Ryan Finney will be spending his, his summer thinking about that and, and bring him uh, a better calibre of player in to, to boost him up the league Yeah I mean what from a tactical point of view Rob is there anything that they could have done better is it just the quality of player at the moment that sort of needs bolstering I think I think it's it's a bit of both James I, I think with, with a better quality of player who can read games better you, you get big moments in games where if a player is good, they will make the right decision. But they've had injuries as well, um, you know, and with players coming in and out, not really having game time and, and a run of games, um, it, it becomes a problem. But, you know, we're hoping that, that Ryan can, can turn it round in the in the off-season um, and then we'll be, we'll be cheering uh, come November. So now we're looking back over the campaign just gone, Rob. And which players stood out for you? Yeah, got some Tyson Fawcett, Scott Skimmons. Like I said, Jared Wormer. You know, they've got class. They, they know where the where where the where the goal is, and and it's just a matter of building on that. If they can get a couple more in, um, you know, and and keep the lads that they've got, then obviously they'll be looking at a higher spot next season. Yeah, most certainly. And there's the World Championships at the end of the month. Will Storm be having any representation there? Yeah, Dallas Earhart, uh, the Storm, uh, the Manchester Storms, John Terry, as as you probably read it. You know, he's Mister Mister Storm. Um, always wears his hat on his on his sleeve. Um, he is been selected for the Great Britain squad uh, for the World Championships in Finland, so he will be uh, a key 
player in that in that Great Britain squad, and I'm sure Manchester fans will be tuning in to see how he goes on. And now we're going to move on to the world of boxing, Paul. And aside from Rob's surprise 40th birthday party, Tyson Fury versus Dillian White was the biggest event on British soil last night. And we were talking before it how potentially White could cause him problems with that horrible left hook, that dangerous body attack. But Tyson Fury blew away a clinical performance and then stops him in the sixth round with a brutal uppercut. Yeah, we had a good chat uh, on Saturday night, didn't we, about the about the boxing before it all started. And uh, I, th- I think you know, we were expecting fireworks, weren't we, at Wembley Stadium, 94,000 people. Had to see. It was a great spectacle. And I think you've got to give Tyson Fury a lot of credit because, you know, he's there to sort of be shot at, really, isn't he? He's the best in the world. And, you know, Dylan White's a dangerous fighter. And, and he dealt with him. He adapted his style. I think he cut White, didn't he? made things uncomfortable for him and uh, and then finished him off with a, with a great punch. So, so yeah, he's going to take some, somebody very, very special to beat Tyson Fury if they ever do. Now, I don't know whether he's going to go into retirement. He seems to have hinted at it. But I thought it was a real good performance. I thought he boxed really well when he was on the back foot. He boxed well and... And he's just he's just so difficult and so awkward. And you know, Dylan White's a classy operator and a very very dangerous man. And Tyson Fury dealt with him in the best way possible. I thought. I mean, you mentioned retirement now. There's several options on the table for him. Should he wish to carry on? There's the Alexander Anthony Joshua winner to fight to become the undisputed champion of the world. He actually had the UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou in the room with him as well. So that's the direction he could potentially go in. From my point of view as a Fury fan, I don't know how much more he has to prove. You never want to see a fighter get overly greedy. What would you like him to do? Would you like him to retire or pursue an Alexander Usyk Joshua winner? Do you know what, James? I don't think he has anything to prove. I think every question that's ever been asked of him in a ring, he's done it and he's done it with style. He's not had like scruffy wins or wins where you think, oh no, he, he robbed such a body there. He hasn't. All his all his decisions, all his victories have been unanimous. He's, you know, he's been he's beaten Deontay Wilder twice. I mean, in the draw, yeah, perhaps it was a fair result, but he's gone and beaten twice after that. And everyone that he's ever been asked to fight, and he, he's done the business. So um, I don't think he's got anything to prove in the sport. I mean. A glorious sort of ending for him would be to go and, and win all the belts, you know, beat Usyk and just take everything. I mean, that that would be an ideal sort of fairy tale ending. But it's it's whether he wants to to go down that road now. As you said before, sometimes boxers can go on too long. You can get injuries and things like that. Sometimes he's got a young family there. Is it the right time to to, to quit while you're ahead in in the in the gloriness? But. I don't know. There's probably two sides to Tyson Fury there. One that does want a fairy tale ending with all the belts, and then there's a sensible side that probably thinks, right, it's family time now, and and I'm done and dusted. But it just depends which one sort of um, sways him the most, and it'll be interesting to see. But you know, best of luck whichever way he goes with it. In the aftermath of his performance, there's people looking at two different sides of things because I'm seeing a lot. People all over social media, Tyson Fury's the greatest to do ever do it, the greatest of all time, a fantastic heavyweight, etc., etc. And then other people that are saying, oh, he doesn't deserve to be that, he's not beating anybody special. And perhaps the truth is in the middle, or maybe, but where do you rank Tyson Fury's performance? Do you know what? Think I always think sports people deserve respect participate in their sports, in rugby league, football, or whatever. I always get people who try and compare eras and, and compare times and compare the 70s to the 80s to the 90s or whatever. And you can only, like someone like Tyson Fury, you can only 
box the people that are in front of you. You can't box Muhammad Ali or you can't box Joe Frazier or, or someone from a different era because it's you know it's times change and big things move on, don't they? So I always think it's difficult to do to do that, and and you shouldn't really do that. I mean, he's fought everybody's been put in front of him and beat them, so he's he's a world class fighter. But it is unfair to compare eras, I think, and, and times in sport. Like, say, you're comparing football or rugby league now to, to players that played 40, 30, 40 years ago. It's a totally different situation, different diets now, different nutrition, different ways of the way they prepare things, and, and, it, and it is. But I, I take it with a pinch of salt sometimes, stuff I see on social media, because a lot of people haven't been in a ring before and, and they wouldn't know how to go. And it's very, very easy from the outside to slag people off and say, oh, he's not good at this. I mean, it takes an awful lot of, of guts to get in a boxing ring and, and fight and, you know, put the bodies on the line and put the lives on the line. So I think you, you owe the fighters a bit of respect there, I think. And I think to say Tatsifu is not in the top tens, he, he's, he's done everything, he's won everything. So, um, so you know, if he, if Tyson Fury is reading things like that, would he look at them and think, well, perhaps I should box Alexander Usyk or the winner of Usyk and, and Joshua or whatever and, and take all the belts? I'm not so sure which way he go, but I think to say he's not top 10 is a bit, a bit daft. I think he's I think he's more than proved his, his worth. Another narrative I'm seeing, Paul, which I think, again, is quite unfair, is that Dillian White's been completely written off from being even like a top 10 heavyweight people of this era people are saying oh he was only of a British level and they're forgetting the fact that he's been in there and beaten the likes of Alexander Povetkin Joseph Parker Oscar Rivas Derek Chisora etc I mean this man was a, a top level heavyweight great left hook great body shots had beaten a whole host of elite level fighters he just against a better man and I feel like we are too soon as, as a boxing community to write people off after a feat he's still a great heavyweight I mean Ranked at number four in the world at one point. Yeah, I think I think this sort of I sound an old fogey now, but this sort of day and age, people seem to get written off so easily. Um, you know, you you lose one fight or you lose one match at a sport, and and people do do tend to write you off. And everybody seems to be an expert at everything these days, don't they? And I, I sometimes think sports people and people involved in sport who who play it, they're the experts at it. And everybody seems to be an expert, don't they? Write people off. And Dylan White is, is, is a cracking fighter. We, we've seen some great fights that he's been in. And let's have it right. Tyson Fury, I mean, the greatest respect to him. He's a freak of nature. He's six foot nine. He's 19, 20 stone. He's a huge man, a huge, huge man, and a very, very, very good boxer as well. And, you, and, and one thing with Tyson Fury is he uses his attributes so brilliantly. I mean, there's so many boxers out there at all different levels, and they don't use the height, they don't use the reach to their advantage. Tyson Fury nails it every time. He uses every ounce of, of his God-given sort of gifts, his, his height and, and his awkwardness, and uses them to his advantage, doesn't he? And and when you've got a guy like that, it must be an absolute nightmare, you know, for a for an opponent and his, his, his team to sort of combat that. I mean, you, you look at Dylan White's preparations, and I bet his team were thinking, how are we going to get around this guy? And it must be so, so hard to get a game plan together. So... Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the, the way people write people off is, 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 is funny sometimes to me. So where does he go from here, Dillian White? Is there any opponents that make sense for him to get in with next? And another aspect, the same shot has knocked him out cold three times. That right uppercut took him out by, well, right or left uppercut, should I say. Joshua knocked him out with that shot. Fury knocked him out with that shot. Povetkin knocked him out with that shot. Rivas had him down and very badly hurt with that shot. It's such an obvious weakness in his game. It is, but that shot, when it's perfected by a world-class fighter, it, it happens that quick. 
you don't see it coming, do you? And it's not an easy punch to throw. And yeah, he's been caught by it, but you know, there's an awful lot of fighters in the world who get caught by that and, and, and you know, class fighters as well. So I don't I won't be too hard on him um about that really. But obviously his team will want to look at that. You always do, you you want to get better and you want to improve, don't you? But I don't I wouldn't write Dylan White off completely. He's still got an awful lot to give to boxing, particularly uh, you know, as, as a British fighter as well. There's there's some cracking matches out there for him. I'm sure that his team will be lining things up and he's not done yet. There's no way. That that proved last night. Like you said, James, he's beaten by the better man and, and you sometimes in sport you've got to hold your hands up, haven't you, and say, Yeah, that guy was better than me and, and he was. Looking at the undercards and good fights on there, ball proving himself to be a world-level fighter with his victory over Isaac Long. David Adelaide beating Chris Healy, who we'll hopefully have on the show in a few weeks' time. He put on a brave performance, taking Adelaide to the fourth round. And Tommy Fury beating Daniel Bajanski, probably the best performance of his career, and hopefully a statement that will tempt Jake Paul back to the negotiating table. Yeah, yeah, it was a good undercard, like you say there, Tommy Fury, a good, a good win for him there as well, and you know that that sends a message now, doesn't it, to to, to Jake Paul and, and and see if he's interested in that. But no, it was a, it was a good card, it was a good fight night by all accounts. I didn't get to see much of the fight. I've read about it and seen seen clips today, but you know, I, I think it was Frank Warren who was promoting it and. And they seem like they've done a great job there. I mean, 90-odd thousand at Wembley. It must have been a terrific atmosphere, a terrific night to be there. And like you said, Chris Healy, the local lad from Stockport, for, you know, for, for his career, he's only really ever fought at sort of British level. And, and to go there and fight at Wembley Stadium, that must have been outstanding for him, and, and you know, despite his defeat. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a great night, great card. And let's hope we've got some more nights to look forward to in the, in the near future because... Uh, you know, this this time of the year, now as he's pushing towards the summer, this is when all the big fights happen, don't we? Get the outdoor stadium fights and things like that. So there's uh, there's an awful lot to look forward to. Yeah, there's some good stuff coming up this weekend, Paul. We've got Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. One-off, probably the biggest fight in women's boxing history. And then a cracking fight in the co-main event. Liam Smith versus Jesse Vargas, two former world champions. For some reason, these two men have been linked for what seems like five or six years. I'm making Liam Smith an ever so slight favourite in this one, mostly just due to the height and weight disparity with Jesse Vargas coming up from 140 and then 147. But how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I like what you say there. I go with Liam Smith. I back him any day of the week. I mean, uh, he's a good operator. He's been with an awful lot of fighters, come up short a couple of times, but against world-class opposition. So, uh, you know, I think he's still got... Um, Got a, a lot to give boxing. You know, he's, he comes from a cracking family of boxers there, doesn't he? And, uh, you know, he, like I said before, he's been in with some, some classy operators. And I think he'll just have, have the edge for that one there. He's uh, he's big at the weight, isn't he? And very, very strong at his weight as well. So uh, I think he'll just have too much of Vargas. Yeah. And looking back over the course of last week, just quickly, on Friday night, there was a show in Liverpool with Paul Butler taking on Sultan for the interim WBO world title. Jesse Dickens back in action as well, getting a good win and two good performances from two scousers who can hopefully go on to win world titles in the future. Yeah, certainly. Certainly there's a good crop of uh, boxes. There always is, isn't there, coming out of Liverpool? It's, uh, it's another boxing city, isn't it? Like Sheffield, like Manchester and you know, London as well. There's an awful lot of fighters come out of there. and I bet that was a really good night as well. And um, I've never actually been to the uh, the arena at Liverpool. I bet it's a cracking night there, just like the Manchester one. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some more good fights and, and some more uh, world champions coming out of that city. Now, we've had a few fight announcements 
Paul, we'll go with this one first. The big one. Ricky the Hitman Hatton unbelievably making a shot return to the ring against Marco Antonio Barrera in an exhibition match. Loads of people will be buying tickets to see the Hitman. We talked about this last night, actually. I thought it was a bit disrespectful that Marco Antonio Barrera are great at this game. Somebody's beaten Eric Morales, beaten Prince Nassim Hamed, held so many world titles, didn't even feature on the poster. But it's a great opportunity to see two legends of the game in Manchester. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and like we said last night, it'd be, um, I think even if Ricky hadn't come out and got beat in about 10 seconds, it'd be a great atmosphere just to, to get all that crowd back in the arena all chanting his name. Because those nights, I mean, if you speak to, to guys like Anthony Crawler, I think Ricky Atman was his like inspiration, wasn't he, going in there to the Manchester Arena and some of those nights there with the, all the flags and all the cheering that used to happen. So I believe there's going to be music on there as well. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's some of it's for raising money for charity. So that, that should be a great night there. The Manchester Arena is a, a cracking venue anyway. So uh, it was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting you know to see Ricky Atten boxing again. But as you say, it's an, an exhibition bout and uh, I'm sure there'll be some skills on there. And I've seen some videos of him training. He looks like he's lost an awful lot of weight. And uh, let's hope he's in there and, and fit and raring to go. I didn't realise he was only 43 years of age, Ricky Atten. I thought it was older than that. He seems to have been around forever. But you know, good luck to him. I hope it's a great night. And if it is raising money for charity, then let's hope it raises loads. Yeah, and looking at just a few closing stories from the world of boxing, we've got Oscar Valdez versus Stevenson coming up this week in a unification bout. That's a fantastic contest in that division. MTK have seized operations. We've heard a hint of rumours that Spence and Crawford could finally enter negotiations. We've had an announcement for Joseph Parker versus Joe Joyce. Canelo Alvarez is taking on Oscar De La Hoya in a golf match, which should provide fireworks. And lastly, the question I will ask you, Paul, is that Amir Khan was robbed at gunpoint the other day. Uh, quite a tragic story there. Yeah, that's uh, I, I did see that, and uh, it's frightening. It's absolutely frightening, some of the things that go on. Just glad he's OK and, um, you know he's safe and well because uh, there's, there's some horrible things out there you never know the moment do you so uh, I'm glad that Amir is alright yeah and now I'm going to throw it back over to Rob to talk all about the rugby yeah Paul Salford Red Devils were in action this weekend they're away at Wigan they went down 30 points to 24 talk us through it <laughs> How long have I got? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time to do the full-time report. I'll yeah. this on Twitter, but no, a great game, Rob. It really was a great game. And I mean, we're going to got some cracking players. That Jai Field, he went through for the first try and he's got so much pace. Give him half a gap and he's in. But Salford bounced back. No, two tries to get the, the game. We came back to six apiece and then back to 12 apiece as well. Uh, sorry, 18-12 and then it was 24-12 uh, at half-time. But we came back in, in the second half, sorry, to get it to 24-24. I'm getting lost here with me, with me, with me notes. But uh, no, 24-12 at half-time. We were behind the eight ball there. But fantastic comeback. You know what? Gerard went over for a try. And then Ken Seo with an 80-yard interception set the game to 24 all. And there's about, I think there's about 20 odd minutes left there in the, in the match. And, um, you know, Croft and Watkins put Briley through. Forward pass was given massive call. That, I believe it was a forward pass from people who watched it on the telly. I didn't, I could only see it from the, the match. But I thought an awful lot of 50 50 went against Solvent, really. And, you know, they had to, to battle for everything today. And 
really, really unlucky at the end not to, to get something. We had a drop goal attempt in the uh, last stage. Alex Gerrard sort of came up with a ball and chucked the ball back to Wigan. We perhaps could have been a bit more composer and won the game. And then obviously tried to go for a field goal. And, and again, Jai Field takes it and he does what he does best. And he scored an absolutely sensational try there to win the game for Wigan. But a fantastic effort for Solvent in what was a pulsating match, 30 points to 24. So I'll probably sum that up there in about a minute or so. But it was a, it was a super game. Super, super game. Great advert for Channel 4. I've watched some of the highlights today uh, as I've come home and you could hear how excited the commentator was. There was a couple of sort of chances Wigan had in the second half where they, they had a four to one overlap and somehow Salford scramble over to defend it. So it was end to end action. And I think we proved today that we can we can mix it with with some good sides. So we've got to bring that 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 sort of performance every week now and we'll probably win more games than we lose, but it's finding that consistency. There's no use going to Wigan and doing that and then, you know, playing really poorly again the week after. So um so yeah, a heartwarming display from Salford, but a cruel a cruel ending. Yeah, obviously injuries continue to stack up for Southwood. Ryan Bradley and Elijah Taylor now on the casualty list. Uh, Paul Rowley obviously during the week talking about and um, wanting players to come in but not having the revenue to do that. Another two injuries to the list isn't going to help that. No, not at all. I mean, nobody ever mentions it. I watched the Super League show the other day and they were all talking about Catalan's injuries and they played us last Monday. We've got an absolute mountain of players out if you think about the likes of Harvey Levet, Dan Sargent's out, Joe Burgess out, Tim Lafay's out. You've got Shane Wright out, James Greenwood out, Elijah Taylor will be out next week with the HIA failed assessment. I think Brian Riley's broke his ribs by the looks of it. He, we wheeled the um, the door for Ryan on his way out uh, today, and um, he was in a, a bad way. We're holding his ribs, so he could be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Max needs also out. I think he'll be back for the week after the Saints game, according to Paul Rowley in the press conference. So he's got another week or so out. So they, they're really doing it tough. They're really doing it tough. And it's going to be difficult to get a, a 17, so, well, a 21-man squad together this week. And um, Paul Rowley was saying after the game that it, it's going to be difficult this week in training. I don't think they're going to be doing a lot of training. I think it's going to be all resting and recovering and, and sort of rehab and ice baths and, and, and massages and sort of things like that to just get themselves ready. And he said they're just going to rock up at St. Helens and give it their all. So they really are fine finding it tough at the moment and Easter's a tough time for rugby league anyway but when you've got a squad like that and then the squad gets bashed by injuries as well it's so so difficult yeah like you said last game of that tough period is Saints away what have you learned from this Salford team about them and the character Oh, fantastic character today, Rob. Um, they mixed it around a bit today as well, and we looked dangerous in the halves, and we know Max need. So, so Brody Brody Croft was, was was fantastic. He's full of running, very very dangerous. Well, I think he grew in confidence as the game went on. He linked up really well with Ryan Briley in that second half. Morgan Escaray came on as well and, and caused some problems. So, I've learned that we can throw the ball around and score. Our defence, you know, still needs a bit of work. We can see a couple of soft tries in that first half, but had a lot of defending to do. And give Wigan credit, Wigan are a good side. So. Um, I've learned we've got an awful lot of um, fight in us there and we're going to need it at St. Helens depending on what team St. Helens play but no disrespect to them I think if they play a similar sort of side to what they played at Castleford last week that, those young players that they've got in the team are, you know, are good players as well they're quality players so um, so whatever team St. Helens put out is going to be difficult and we've not won there for 42 years 38 consecutive defeats away at St. Helens I worked that out the other day so that took me a bit of working out but, uh, but yeah it's going to be tough it's going to be tough there but you're in the Super League and, and you play these teams, don't you, week in, week out, and you're, you're in the top flight to, 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 to play these sides. So you can't duck them. You've got to go out there and, and do the business. So another tough week and we'll go to St. Helens and give it the best shot. 
Yeah, let's move on to the Soul Pro Devils ladies. They were away at Warrington Lunas and won 26 points to 22. Two tries from Lucy McKeown, one from Alex Simpson, who's a Great Britain teacher's international, scored on her debut. Lauren Ellison and Victoria Kinney, they also the try scorers for Salford. A great start to their season, away win at Warrington. Yes, certainly was, yeah. It was a, a game, a sort of day of both the sides, really, wasn't it? Salford losing late on and the ladies, um, sort of men's team losing late on and the ladies winning late on. So uh, I think that's great for, for the club. But it's just a shame that both sides played on um, on the same day at similar times, really. But, uh, but no, a great start to the season, a great win. And the good work continues. And, um, you know, the, the good progress that they're making, it, it seems to get better and better every week, doesn't it? So a great start to, to the season. To win at Warrington, it's uh, any sort of away win's good, isn't it? But that's a great start to the season. Yeah, and the PDRL team also played in a rugby league festival before that ladies game, and they they were they were played some good rugby as well. Didn't manage to win any of the games, but you know it shows. Obviously, Salford Devils want to be that community club, and, and and they are able to do that with these three teams playing. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I'm sure the the the, the PDRL will come good. You know, they're they're a new side out there playing together and. I think it's it's all about enjoyment as well, you know, playing rugby league. You know, you can't win every week, as we know, watching uh, watching the men's for all these years. You know, it's uh, you know for, for those players playing for the the learning disabilities team, you know, they'll enjoy themselves, they'll have a great day, and I'm sure that sure the wins will come. Yeah, let's move on to Swinton Lions. They played Keithley away and lost thirty points uh, to nil. Obviously, it's uh, Swinton Lions were sort of touted as being favourites in this uh, in this division that they're in uh, but I've had two defeats in a row Paul so what, what's the what's the problem? Well I don't think it's just much as a problem I think they've just come up against two good sides you know North Wales Crusaders are uh, dark horses I think for that league you know they're uh, they're playing some really good stuff particularly in the home games and they went to, to Swinton and won 13 points to 6 I think it was and then they backed up with an away game at Keithley and, and Keithley are another good side out there also one of the favourites promotions you say the favourites promotions there's about half a dozen clubs in that league who are all being touted you've got oh, Rochdale on it's Oldham as well and Doncaster and it's going to be a cracking league that it really is it, it could be anybody from like four or five, maybe even six clubs that could could win that league. So I'm not too sure the problem at Swinton. They've just come up against two good sides and and, and they've been beating it. So uh, I'm sure they'll want to bounce back. It's probably a bit of a rude awakening for them, really, and probably a bit of a kick that they needed. I mean, it's not going to be easy in, in that in that uh, league one. There's some some tough sides, some tough away trips, and you're backing up every week. So they just need to knuckle down, I think, in training this week and, and focus on the next game now. Do you think Alan Coleman feels a bit under pressure, obviously, with that expectation of his team being the favourites? Well, I think you always feel pressure, Rob, don't you, as a, as a coach? I mean, Paul Rowley be the same at Salford, you know. It, it just comes with the territory, doesn't it? You know, when you lose a game, I always say to you, don't uh, you're only as good as your last game, and you are. People only remember that last game, don't they? Go and win next week, and all's forgotten, and they, and they carry on, don't you? Look at Salford. I mean, over over the Easter period, we, you know, we struggled a bit. The Catalan game was a bit messy, and people were a bit fed up. But they've gone away to Wigan today, uh, Sunday, and, and lost, but showed an awful lot of effort. And people remember that now, don't they? And people are sort of looking up a bit. So yeah, there's always pressure, but they made a decent start to the season, and you just got to focus on the on the week after now. It's a long, long season, so you just got to focus on the next game. I suppose that's the thing. I suppose with Easter rugby and, and all that, you, you've got players like at Swinton that are sort of part time, aren't they? So they've got to kind of balance that rugby 
playing and also work at the same time. Yeah, you, you sort of wonder how the players did it in the, sort of the 60s and 70s. They used to play three games at East, didn't they? Friday, Saturday and Monday mm-hmm. and have jobs as well. They didn't have all the diets that they have now and the nutrition and things like that. So they must have been real warriors as well. So it's funny how different areas sort of cope with it. But yeah, get what you're saying there. It must be difficult when you're working as well. I mean, not just the Easter time, but all the way through the season for these lads. You know, they're going away from home on you know long trips up to Cumbria and down south and they're in work the next day. So that's off to any anybody who does that you know in, in any sort of sport you're not full-time professional you, you're doing it tough aren't you so uh, so yeah there's some some cracking lads in, in rugby league amateur rugby league as well as the same and they do it for the love of the sport as well so uh, so yeah but i'm confident Swinton will bounce back i think they're going to be a good home side and you know, you've got new players as well there sometimes it takes a bit to gel but i think they've just played two good sides in the last few weeks and you know come up short yeah and they got a week off uh, this week, which is also going to help because uh, they've played London Scholars next week. So, obviously, after the last two defeats, gives them a chance to clear their minds and start again. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, sometimes get a bit of time to regroup, don't you, and work on things that have gone wrong because they'll do like a video review on the Keithley game and they'll want to just put some things right. Also, gives them a bit of time to rest knocks and things like that. So, sometimes you need that, don't you, to recharge the batteries. I'm sure Paul Rowley all for a love a week off, wouldn't he? You know, we've got a week off the week after the St. Helens game for the Challenge Cup uh, semi finals, haven't we? But we've just got one more game to get through. But, uh, but yeah, this time of year, games are coming thick and fast. So, any sort of recovery time that you get is. Uh, is a, an added bonus, really. Yeah. Uh, just obviously, as we're getting towards the end of the show, Paul, the uh, Women's Challenge Cup um, sort of squad semi-finals were played this week and uh, St. Helens will now face Leeds Rhinos in the Challenge Cup final. Uh, both very good women's sides. Saints beat Featherstone Rovers 82 uh, points to nil in their games. It kind of shows there's a bit of a gulf in there sometimes between the top, uh, very top teams uh, and other ladies' sides too. Yeah, it's the same with the men's, isn't it? It's the same with them. There's there's some some big scores, isn't there? Sometimes, but that's up to those teams to to keep working hard and you know try and uh, try and close that gap, isn't it? But I know Saints have had a, a good side for a number of years in, in Leeds. I've seen them play on the television before, so uh, so yeah, there is a bit of a gulf there, and, and that's what Salford will be aiming for, you know, to sort of challenge these sides, won't they, in the near future, hopefully. But though sometimes there is a big gap, isn't there? And uh, and that's up to you to to, to work hard and, and get up to that level. Yeah, with 40 seconds to go, Paul, do you think Salford Red Devils ladies will be reaching for a Challenge Cup soon? I'd like to think so. You, you, the sky's the limit, isn't it? You've got to aim high, haven't you, in rugby league, and that's got to be the target, hasn't it? And it'd be, it'd be magnificent, and that'd be great for the men's side to, to win a cup final. But no, I, I'm sure the ladies, the way they're playing at the moment, they're making lots of progress, and uh, it's all good. Yeah, it's an exciting time uh, to be a rugby fan in in Salford in the next uh, few weeks and years and months to come with both teams wanting to play. Big thanks for tuning into this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.